soul food. The things you need to know about your Bible, how we got it, and how to get the most out of it. And it's that second part that we've been studying now for a few weeks. This is part 11 in this series. Tonight, reproof. The hurt that heals. And our theme text for this part of the series has been 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And I think you'll see that word reproof. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That's what we looked at last week. For reproof. That's tonight. For correction and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So in our last uh, teaching in this series, we launched into the four specific steps that lead to this fruitful reception of God's Word in our lives. I mean, the goal is spelled out, isn't it, in that 17th verse? The goal of everything we we have in our hearts and minds as we approach God's Word is that the man or woman of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. That's the target. We, we want to be. I want to be. You want to be. We want to be men and women of God. And, and more than that, we want to have good works, equipped for every good work, 17. So, so we want our relationships to be full of good works. We want our ministries to be full of good works. We, we don't want our lives to be empty, vain, as the scriptures would put it. We don't want to just be spinning our wheels. We don't want to just hold some isolated, uh, mysterious beliefs about God that have no effect whatsoever on our actions and our plans, being full and full of good works and fruitfulness. So, Paul says... That's good. God has a plan. He has provided something very special. But because it's easy to to overlook or undervalue this provision, Paul reminds Timothy, Timothy knows this, but Paul reminds Timothy that the Bible isn't just another book of religious instruction. Now, there are lots of books full of religious instruction in this world. And a lot of it might be helpful as far as it goes. But the Bible, says Paul, is different from anything else. The reason it will accomplish its goal, that will be fruitful and full of good works, the reason it can accomplish that is its unique origin and its unique inspiration. That's in that 16th verse. All Scripture is breathed out inspired, some translations will say. That's what it means. It's not just inspiring when you read it. He's talking the source of the book, breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So Paul says to Timothy, God is very good at accomplishing his purposes in this world. Scripture 316 Breathed out by God. Just think of the power of the speech of God as his, just his breathed out words formed matter out of non-matter. 
to bring physical effects from non-physical causes, to spin galaxies into space, to create various forms of life from nothing. That's, that's the power of God's breathed out word. So, so Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy's going through a time of, uh, there's a lot of persecution, a lot of false teachers. It's discouraging. Paul wants to encourage Timothy that he must not forget this. He has God's word. The scriptures, they are breathed out by God. They are active, living, powerful. They can accomplish their purpose in our lives. So, with the goal in mind, making us into men and women of God, and the provision of the means, that's the scriptures, breathed out by God, Paul then moves on now to the four steps, the process. We studied the first step last Sunday night. The first step is teaching, verse 16. So, so nothing can germinate from a closed book or an empty head. Uh, there has to be teaching. One way or another, the word must be taught, getting into our minds, into our thoughts. It takes more than most people think. And we looked at that whole process in detail last Sunday night. You can get that online. So now we're coming to the second step in producing biblical change. Last Sunday night was teaching. The second word he uses is reproof. That 16th verse. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof. Now let's get right into it. Point number one. Reproof is the logical step right after teaching. So, so you think about it. Once I see the standard, once I see the truth, once my mind is informed by the light, I'm immediately aware. Well, I, I, I don't measure up. I don't, I don't meet that. I don't meet that standard. Now, until my mind is confronted by divine, objective truth from God, I can pretty much satisfy myself with the flexible standards of the surrounding culture. I'm as good as most people, better than a lot. And if my conscience bothers me too much at some point, well, if you just wait long enough, we all know how that works. It just kind of becomes dull and jaded and doesn't bug you anymore. This quest for truth is so misunderstood. People who contend for absolute truth, they aren't just interested in proving they're right. That's not what Paul's talking to Timothy about. It's, it's the process of transformation. That'll be stopped in its tracks un, unless there is knowable truth that will, that will confront my fallen life in different areas with reproof. That's, that's what I need. Relativism never confronts. The, the floating standards of our culture, they usually accommodate. They don't reprove. But once my mind sees the truth, God's truth, in teaching, I open it up, God's inspired word, they're breathed out, and somebody brings the teaching light, the content, it's there and it confronts my life. Once I see that truth, 
God's truth, then, then all of my subjective moral standards, they hit that speed bump of divine revelation. And I, I start to get awakened to things that aren't right in my own fallen heart. Things that I used to see just as, you know, maybe character defects, I now see as rebellion against the holy God. Something starts to hurt in my soul. And the important point right here is, that's not a bad thing, and it's not an unhealthy thing. Paul described this this process as it happened in his own life. You can look at it quickly in Romans chapter 7. Get a Bible, if you haven't got one already, Romans 7, and look at 7, 8, and 9. Paul talks about this process of reproof. Romans 7, 7. What then shall we say? Is the law sin? It's the law. It was taught. He saw it. It was revealed. After the teaching phase, it confronted something in his heart. But it it wasn't that the law was bad, he says. By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, look at, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Just those two words, I died, verse 9. See, that's, that's the process of reproof. That's why, by the way, the Bible is called the sword of the Spirit. We forget that sword imagery wasn't as beautifully poetic in New Testament times as it is today. Swords weren't ceremonial by and large. Swords killed. So so don't miss Paul's simple point. Without the knowledge of God's law until he saw the truth... Paul didn't see the sinfulness of covetousness. So without that teaching from the word, without the truth of God's word, he was, he was as blind to this sin in his life as if it didn't exist at all. He was much more at peace with himself without God's revelation than with it. But then the truth came. As As the sword did its piercing work, the light was turned on, and it turned up all those exposed, unexposed areas, the corners of Paul's religious heart, and he was very religious, and he was covetous at the same time. That's the process of reproof. It's designed to follow the teaching phase. And In fact, My own opinion is, contrary to what many have been led to believe, if there's no period of reproof after teaching, then somehow the teaching has been a little bit incomplete. Certainly the process shouldn't end in reproof. I'm not saying that. But it has to at least include it. Now, why does Paul go into such details about reproof writing to Pastor Timothy. Why? Why does Timothy need to be reminded about the ongoing need in his own life and in his ministry to the church 
Why does he need to be reminded about this step of reproof in making a man or a woman of God? I'll tell you why I think he needs to hear it. It's because I would really like to get to godliness without reproof, if at all possible. You would too. It's not a big deal to me, but it's, it's no accident that we self-esteem-loving people have unceasingly come to call our worship gatherings as celebrations. I mean, celebration is up. We, we'd all like to feel we can just, we could just be kind of encouraged, lifted into the kingdom of God. We'd all like to think that the presence of God just, it brings nothing but joy and peace into our hearts. But it isn't always true. I mean, so much theological confusion abounds right at this point. We, we constantly need to maintain the biblical distinction between the terms condemnation, which the Holy Spirit never does, and conviction, which the Holy Spirit constantly does. And here's how you can always tell the difference. Condemnation only emphasizes the negative. It comes from the accuser, the enemy of our souls. Condemnation, it just, it just settles, dwells on the fault and rubs your face in it. Condemnation goes nowhere. There's no emphasis on repentance. There's no emphasis on solution. Conviction, on the other hand, is completely different. Initially, initially it can feel like condemnation, but only initially. Conviction is, is like the needle that does hurt a little bit under the skin, but it leads to something healthy and life-giving. So, so conviction, it reproof, it brings reproof, it exposes sin, but only with the intention of removing it, bringing it to Christ. Opening the door to new life, new holiness, new hope. And that's why, at least at some point, biblical teaching and preaching without reproof, I'm not sure it always is effective in producing long-term change. But it is very popular. Most television ministries are about healing, deliverance, miracles, victory. You start preaching on reproof and your program's going to end up in the 2 to 5 a.m. time slot. Oh, how we, how we need the, the rock-solid revelation of the Scriptures on this point. Teaching, then reproof. Teaching without reproof. It's always been embraced by a fallen human nature. The prophets encountered it, even way back in the Old Testament. Let me, let me just give you one example. Ezekiel 13, 9 to 12. God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 13, 9. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. Say, so, so what's the problem? Verse 10. Precisely because they have misled my people, saying, peace, when there's no peace. 
And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Okay, remember that picture. When the people build a wall, 10, the prophets smear it with whitewash. Verse 11, say to those who smear it with whitewash, it shall fall. Remember those words. There will be a deluge of rain and you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where's the coating with which you smeared it? Those are fascinating words. I mean, they're much more than just some record of a holy temper tantrum from God. That's not what those verses are about. I mean, God's anger is expressed against any teaching, any teaching that purports to be from him, purports to be biblical in our day, and life-giving when, in fact, it's death-dealing because it doesn't name and expose and root out the problem of sin. That's where the real, that image of smearing a rotten, decaying wall with whitewash, white, watered-down white paint. That's where that imagery comes in. I mean, if the drywall, think modern construction, if the drywall is all rotten and pulpy and falling apart, you can't just buy a cheap can of paint and smear it over the surface. First, you got to rip out the old drywall, find out if there's vapor barrier behind it, put in new drywall, seal it all up, then you paint it. And the issue here isn't just some legalistic hankering to beat Christians over the head with revealed truth. That's not it. Remember God's word to the prophets. It had to do with, he said, you're, you're, you're smearing whitewash over this wall and the wall won't stand. See, without reproof, not condemnation, without reproof, my my response to God will never be such that it will bear the weight of all that God wants to construct in my life. You can't accomplish sound construction of a godly life without the temporary hurt of reproof. Okay, point number two, we're almost done. Before the fall, only instruction was necessary. Since the fall, Reproof must always follow teaching. So the fall embroidered the need for reproof right into the fabric of mankind. Before the fall, before the entrance of sin into this world, all mankind needed was instruction. But since the fall, since mankind disobeyed what he knew to be from God in his heart, Reproof is the only step that brings healing grace. Every person needs to be absolutely convinced about this in his or her heart. I mean, ask yourself that question. Do people just need instruction from God? Or do they need some measure of reproof? I mean, the answer you give affects a lot of things. All of this has to be brought into our concept of evangelism 
Do people just need to see our love, as is so often said? Or, or do they need, while in a loving heart and in a wise manner, do they need some exposure to God's revelation on human sin and wickedness? Or put it another way, do people just suffer from ignorance in their relationship with God, or are they guilty of some measure of rebellion against God? Now, of course, you're free to answer that question any way you want. But if you want to line up your thinking with the Word of God, your only option is B. We are all guilty of rebellion against God, not just ignorance of God. This is Paul's whole point in, in the first chapter of Romans People suppress the truth from God. I mean, that's what the fall has done to mankind. Whether or not you develop any kind of appreciation for reproof will hinge entirely on your present view of human persons. What, what do you see as our urgent need? If our problem is merely unhappiness, there's a different solution. If our problem is merely low self-esteem, there are other solutions, lots of them. If it's merely one of loneliness or discouragement, there are different solutions. But if my problem is my willful rebellion and my replacement of God's place in my life with my own agenda, then I, I need teaching followed by reproof. I think it's a dangerous thing to my own soul when I attempt to make my Christian life feel absolutely wonderful too soon or all the time. Spiritual life is a life led by and following the Spirit of God and the truth of the Word. It, but it isn't just a life on the sunny side of the street. So, so let seasons of reproof just let them run as deep as the Holy Spirit wants to take them. Blessed, blessed are those who mourn. Allow, allow, through reproof, allow repentance a chance to bear its sweetest, most lasting fruit in your life. If, if you try to brush past reproof and repentance, you're just locking your life into a cycle of repeated sin. And there's no joy there. Wasn't, wasn't this lesson actually taught by Jesus right in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread, our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. And you just wonder, daily bread, daily confession, don't, don't, don't try to go more than one day hearing what the Word says, letting it convict your heart. Don't go more than one day without a time of fresh confession and a cleansing of your heart and soul before the wonderful, gracious mercy of our Lord, grace greater than all our sin, so you can trust reproof to do its good work. Let's pray. Thank you for our revelation of what the Word is, breathed out by God, not anyone's private interpretation or thoughts. What the Word does, making us into men and women of God, and how the Word 
works, beginning with teaching, leading into reproof, and the other steps that we'll study in coming weeks. So just just take this truth and let it bear fruit in all of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for studying with us. It's good to have you Sunday night. Join us now for our prayer time.